Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. You are tuned in to episode 80 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm your host. And uh, here we go again. I can't believe we're doing 80 episodes. It's crazy to me. Every time I check in, it's it's crazy. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Thank you guys that are supporting us on a regular basis. If it's your first time here, amazing. Welcome. Hope you stick around. Um, For everybody that's getting another dose, uh, appreciate your support. Numbers are growing. Um, Spotify has actually helped uh, quite a bit, as you can imagine. Um, we're having a bit of a, a bit of a peak on that, which is fantastic. Um, and bottom line, that's why we do it. We just want to get some thoughts into the airwaves and have people do with them what they may. Um, always trying to send you guys positive vibes and appreciate them coming right back. Um, Lots to get into. I was going to do a show on Monday, uh, but I kind of ran out of time in the evening and I figured I'm not going to rush one out. The only reason I was contemplating it is because there's a UFC event this weekend and I want to break that card down individually um, in a show of its own. Plus, I want to talk about some Conor McGregor stuff and, you know, some other things that are uh, are going on with uh, with the UFC. Obviously, TJ Dillashaw um, testing positive uh, and really, really badly, actually. Uh, so there's a whole ream of things that I want to talk to about. I think I'm going to park that for uh, for its own episode. And we'll just call that a preview, uh, a preview show for the upcoming UFC. Um, what's been going on? I mean, always lots. Like I said, I was going to do a show on Monday, and you know, it's a funny old thing, right? Because I'm like, I want to, I want to be frequent. I want to be, you know, good on the volume. I want to get as many shows out as possible if they're going to be quality. And I, I had everything set up, and I was sitting here, and I was just like, better not to, to force a show out just because you think you should rather, you know, stick to a stick to a once a week schedule and everything over and above that is, uh, is bonus material. So I held off and, you know, you do that these days. And so much stuff transpires that you, you know, you've got all this other content to actually, you know, consider talking about and discussing. But waiting has allowed some things to develop. And I think the show will be better off for it. Um, you know, we're going all over the place with some of the things that I was thinking about before pressing record. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about up front, uh, I mentioned on a show previously, and it was just about these robocalls. And if you didn't hear that, effectively, there's a, there's a massive problem with this in, in North America specifically. Some people get 20, 30 calls a day from robot dialers from automated messages you know the type right we have them here in the uk as well and it's you know ppi uh back payments it's have you been in a car accident now it's getting more malicious in terms of you know customs and revenue have issued a warrant for you uh you need to call us back immediately uh they're also being done by corporations and businesses that you might sign up for. So, for instance, I, a little while back, I was looking at, you know, getting into how best to diversify my money. If I have disposable income, what can I do with that other than just stick it in the bank, right? Savings options, playing the market, 
on a low risk, medium risk basis, you know, all of these different avenues that are available for you to make your money work. I've never really had that guidance. I've never really looked into it seriously. You know, I've, I've looked here and there, you know, but unless you immerse yourself in it, you know, it's, it's a completely different language. It's a completely different world. They're making it more simple to do it now, but it's foolish not to. And people like Tony Robbins talk about, you know, how to invest your money and the fact that, you know, over the course of its life, the stock market always returns and rebounds and ends up making money rather than losing it. And if you look over the course of the history of things like the stock market, that's always true, even in the case of recession. There's always a bounce back. There's always a reaction to something. You know, and the best trading days and the best growth days in the market are usually closely aligned with some of the worst days. But that you have to maintain and you have to, you know, kind of stay the course and exercise some patience and not worry too, too much about it because it is, relatively speaking, a safe investment. So I just want to look at some of these things and explore them. And, you know, you go on to these, some of these companies and, you know, you put your email in there or you'll sign up for a free trial on their dashboard or their service or anything like that. Well, some of these companies have, through whatever means, you know, I'm sure it's not that hard to find my mobile number on the internet, but uh, they've used these things to call me rather than email me to try to win, um, basically invest in the company. And I mean invest by depositing money into my account and starting to actively trade on their forum. But most of their contacts with me have been through robocalls. They're auto dialers that then sometimes will pick up, sometimes won't pick up uh, with, a, with a recorded message or in some cases a person. This morning, I received four of these in a row from the same person after politely saying, but firmly stating, I didn't want to hear from them. I wasn't interested in using their service. It was something that I was looking over to as a, you know, more of a review than anything and something that I could potentially just investigate a little bit. There was no commitment there. I said, I would appreciate it if you took my number off your your list and this is them now even into the evening times they're still ringing me after i've told them i'm not interested so on the second call when he called me back i put the phone down i was like i'm, I'm i've had enough of this conversation now i want you to remove me from your from your list or whatever he called me back again and this time I was like, why are you like, you know, why are you calling me back? I just told you I don't have anything else to say about this matter other than action the request I've made, which is to remove me from your list. Put the phone down again. Call me back a third time. Asking me why I'm so stressed out. <laughs> why I'm why I'm not letting him do his job. And I said, again, now I'm getting very annoyed. I'm saying to him, I don't have anything to say to you. I'm not interested in hearing your pitch. I'm not going to be investing any money into the company. I'm not going to be depositing any money into the company. So take me off your fucking list and stop calling me. 
And he's like, okay, cool, I'll do that, but can I have 30 seconds to tell you about... <laughs> so I put the phone down. He called me a fourth time. I told him very, very uh, matter-of-factly to fuck off the fact that I would be reporting his company um, to somebody. I don't know, I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm definitely going to report him to somebody. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start calling them as well. Um, so this is going to be a two-way street and, and maybe that's a little bit petty. I don't care. This has been going on for about three months. So, uh, I don't know if you guys have any experience with these robocalls, but the best thing to do apparently is obviously not answer. So everybody that you know that ends up calling you, if you haven't saved their number already, you'd be best off to do that. But the best thing to do is not answer. If you do answer, they know you're an active number. So they can, they can tag that with like a green flag to say, yeah, this is an opportunity here. This is a lead, right? But then if you talk, they have more information about you and they will try even more aggressively to reach you. So you have to just be wary of these companies because they're out there. I don't know exactly what the recourse is in this country about dealing with uh, what are effectively scam artists because I've looked into this company. They're an unregistered uh, trader or broker. They, they're not legitimate. Everything that, uh, you Google about them is, you know, scam this, scam that, you know, as you would expect from a company that calls you this much, this aggressively, and really doesn't care about the consequences and talks to you like they know you. Um, you know, it's, it was insane, but I'm going to find out what the recourse is in terms of reporting them in return, in terms of uh, getting my details off of their system. Who knows? I'll let you guys know if you're dealing with any of this shit, then, you know, maybe that advice will help. And if you guys know, hit us up on the pages, on the social pages, Facebook or Twitter, and just uh, post them under, in the comments under this episode. Um, because I'd be interested in knowing what kind of action can be taken. Because oftentimes... Uh, these companies will, they'll operate, they'll operate sort of, you know, in the gray area of the law. And uh, I've looked them up and there's a website called Scam Broker, which is probably a scam itself. But um, the company, just so you, just so you know, is called Trade360. So if you ever get a call or an email or anything like that, um, you'd be best to stay away from that company. It's pretty brutal. And just, so just before we change topic, I want to, because I've received now two calls since pressing record on this podcast and we're 11 minutes in and it's the evening time. It's about 8.30 in the evening on Wednesday night and I'm still getting these calls. And one of them, the way their dialer is set up, it leaves you a voicemail, like it kicks into your voicemail and then it'll, the dialer and the hold music while they're waiting for somebody, they think somebody's picking up when your voicemail activates. So their dialer kicks in and then it rings out until somebody on the other end gets fed that call into their headset and then they're straight into the call and I've got the recording. It's 14 seconds long. Listen to this. Right. Hang on. There we go. Listen. Hello? 
like I'm calling them. And then he's like, oh, that's a voicemail. Hang up. This is all day long. I'm going to have to change my number. Anyways, beware of Trade360 because they're, they're definitely an illegitimate company and they're definitely uh, nothing but a hassle. So anyways, um, so anyways, moving on. Um, what else do we talk about? What else is going on? What isn't going on? Um, have you seen now that the the UK has made a move uh, to hold social media companies and tech companies more uh, accountable, effectively m moving like the duty of care uh, to the to the to the companies uh, rather than uh, necessarily the users, as it were. Um, you know. <laughs> basically telling them they have to tighten up their policies. They have to control the content that's being distributed, uploaded to their platforms. Facebook have already kind of come out and made an announcement saying they're gonna ban all kind of white supremacy um, and like white nationalist uh, content from the platform. Twitter's terms and conditions, you know, are ridiculous already, you know, you, they have things in there like misgendering can get you suspended. You know, misgendering somebody can get you suspended. Any number of things, um, you know. And the the move for the government saying, "Hey, you have to control like what's being published," is is quite the undertaking, right? Imagine just for a minute the amount of posts that happen on Facebook every hour. I mean, I'm sure you can find the stats on it, but it's got to be in the the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, if not more. You know, the stats around the amount of content uploaded to YouTube is staggering. You know, if you've ever seen, there's an infographic online, check out um, if you want. You can see it visualized and it's basically an internet minute. You know, it's the amount of money Amazon makes in a minute, the amount of uploads to YouTube and videos watched every minute, the amount of tweets sent out, every, you know, etc. Um, but it's just, it's staggering, right? They say, they say 98% of all the data ever collected has been collected in the last, what, five years, I think they say. Like, it's just, it's, it's incredible, right? The amount of content that's being uploaded to these platforms all the time. It never stops. So to have that policed by the company in real time is, I mean, is it, it's got to be near impossible, right? How are you ever to create an algorithm that can manifest these results in a way that doesn't move the platforms to effectively a censorship mechanism? Because this is really what we're talking about, right? We're talking about censoring speech. We're talking about things like pornography. Like what? Like what ends up? What ends up being the threshold? Like what passes? Does it literally become that you cannot invoke or 
be a part of any sort of discourse that might be one degree off to where their policy says. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm articulating it right. It's it's more about like, what, what do they consider white supremacy? What do they consider white nationalism? What do they consider uh, misgendering? What do they consider bullying? What do they consider, you know, hate speech? What do they consider, you know, an incitement of violence? What do they consider, you know, where do these policies stem from? How are they, how are they, how's the guidance for this thing going to be set out? And what is the undertaking necessary to achieve it, if it's at all possible? I just think it's a task that isn't, I don't think it's plausible. I don't think it's plausible. And, and I'm not sure what the, what the answer is here. I mean, I've spoken about regulating social media companies as public utilities. But are they? Is that really the right classification? Because aren't they just publishers? Because if, like Ben Shapiro gave this, this analogy, and he said if he publishes something on his website and it's defam deflammatory or considered racist or it's off where they actually, where their, you know, where their mission is, they take the flack for that. They're responsible as a publisher for that. And I guess you could go to the journalistic level with that scenario if you wanted to, but how does that manifest in a thing like Facebook? Because isn't Facebook really just a publisher? Or are they something else? Are they a utility because of their scale and size? I'm not sure. And that's that's kind of where I'm at with with my with my current thinking on like what are these guys and how how do you actually kind of get them under control so they're not selling our data so they're not letting back doors into this listening to your calls like infiltrating every single message with an advert you know all of this stuff and then hold them accountable for the content that comes out of that platform or are they a platform and every single user is a publisher which kind of seems like the scenario now right I just think it's a slippery slope when you have a clearly, what seems to be a clearly defined ethos within a lot of these tech companies, if not all of these tech companies, to be pushing towards the ultra progressive, right? They're pushing towards a censorship of a lot of issues that the progressive left are pushing hard right now. Right. Gender identity politics, um, you know, the group politics, the virtue signaling, the stuff that we talk about on the show sometimes. They're all in favor of like closing down any sort of discourse on this. Like you can't. You can't just say what you want. On these platforms. If you type the word faggot in a post on Facebook, you'll get it removed. If you post hashtag learn to code or you'll get a warning or a strike against you, you know? And if they're allowed to just write the code of conduct, what does that do for, 
you know, open opinion and open dialogue and, you know, debate and, you know, where a lot of people try, you know, mostly unsuccessfully to, to, to partake in on these platforms. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a Facebook debate, but it's fucking horrendous. Or if you've ever actually scanned a Twitter thread with the, you know, with the comments and the running dialogue in some of those threads. I mean, it's horrendous. If you've ever looked at the, if you've ever looked at the comments in a YouTube video, on a YouTube video, I mean, it's just absolute, it's, it's vomit. <laughs> it's just vomit. Uh, but you should be able to do that. Should you not? Don't we need to put more of an emphasis on the ability for an individual user to block another person? I don't think there's enough emphasis on that. We call for deplatforming, we call for banning, boycotting, and everything like that. But the truth of the matter is, you can make a conscious decision not to engage with, with subject matter that you don't like. And as I've said before, I think it's a great idea to immerse yourself in subject matter that you don't like or you don't agree with or you find reprehensible or off-putting, whatever. How are you supposed to form a critical opinion, an independent opinion, if you don't bother looking at both sides? And to give companies who have clearly a left-leaning political stance control over the entire dialogue on these platforms that are so enormous is to me is to me it's just a bit absurd because I think they're just going to run with it and pretty soon you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to say anything except happy birthday congratulations whatever emotions they allow you to you know allow you to portray It's social media and society is not wholly positive. Society doesn't get along with everybody. They don't, you know, society doesn't get along a hundred percent. But we need that. Of course, there needs to be some restrictions on, you know, how you can converse with people to a certain extent. But for me, it stops at the incitement of violence. Like if I'm bullying someone or someone's bullying me, not that I would ever do that online, but if I was ever subjected to that, to the point where it became harassment, I would just block that person. You know, if I'm getting attacked by a Russian troll farm, it might be a little bit more difficult. So maybe there needs to be something in terms of scale But to say I can't talk about this or I can't talk about that. What did I have? Uh, get, I got something taken down. I think it was about Israel. Um, that got taken down from Facebook. Um, I mean, it's so absurd because I can't even put a video of me working out in the gym with music playing in the gym without it getting taken down for copyright. But there's all of this extreme content on these platforms that nobody's doing anything. Farrakhan's still on Twitter. You know, but they want to give strikes to Jordan Peterson, for instance. 
or somebody who reposts a YouTube video about Sam Harris. I mean, Christ almighty. And I just think giving these companies free reign to say, you can absolutely not talk about anything to do with anything, you know, on X, Y, and Z subjects is censorship. It's censorship. And if the UK government is handing this control, this kind of duty of care back like over to the social media companies, you know, and to the internet uh, companies out there, will that be in addition to them also taking action? Because the two combined efforts will basically make the internet a censored platform, a censored technology. They already put restrictions on the type of pornography that can be shown. So it's, I think it's just a slippery slope. I think we have to be careful. And I think handing it over to <clears throat> these companies to say, anything we don't agree with is not appearing on these platforms, then you're more of a political machine than anything. Are you not a politically based publisher then? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see how it goes. But at the end of the day, you know, is anything really going to change? Is Facebook going to stop leaking our data? Is, you know, Twitter going to stop being an ultra like left leaning platform with left ideologies and, you know, targeting and banning people on the right? No, I don't think so. Just like the YouTube comments will not be anything other than the dregs of people's thoughts and consciousness and, you know, people who have absolutely nothing going on in their lives other than anger, resentment, hate, you know, all this stuff. This is, this is, you know, some things will not change, unfortunately. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if this, if this manifests into an even more kind of left-leaning, um, narrative and, and a censorship of, of more right-leaning content because that's that's exactly what's going on at the moment you know I didn't like Ben Shapiro when I first started talking to him but if you talking to him listening to him but if you if you do listen he makes a lot of salient points about a lot of important topics I don't agree with him on a lot of things you know he's an orthodox Jew um, who practices it practices it to basically the letter you know and there's a lot of things in there that I don't agree with but there's also a lot of things that I do. If you haven't heard his conversation with Andrew Yang on YouTube, check that out. The only Democratic candidate running for president in America that decided uh, to accept an invitation to Ben Shapiro's show, which is, you know, a right-leaning conservative show, conservative platform uh, with presumably that audience, you know, with sprinkles of people like me who tend to veer off to the other side and listen to what other people uh, who they don't agree with are saying and talking about. So, um, you, you know, they were quick to censor Alex Jones. I had a problem with that. It's continued from there. And I just think handing this, like, the keys to the city over to them <coughs> is a slippery slope. Um, but I suppose that Theresa May has more important things to, to, to deal with, or you would, at least you would hope. 
at least you would hope. Um, I w I'm going to talk about the kind of the latest in, in the Brexit saga that continues uh, in just a minute. But what I wanted to do was actually talk about something uh, that we've mentioned kind of lightly before, I think, but I don't think we've ever really gotten into it. And what I'm talking about, what I'm referring to is this anti-vaccination movement that's been steadily kind of, I would you even call it gaining momentum? I guess you would because of the consequences of what's now happening um, in the U.S. specifically. But, you know, you've got this community of people who think, you know, you shouldn't vaccinate your kids because, you know, it can cause autism or other handicaps or, you know, other health problems and so on and so forth. Um, obviously a terrible idea not to vaccinate your children. Now, do I think they should have every single vaccine that is offered to them? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But the big ones, the big ones they should absolutely have. The ones that I had when I was a kid, they should absolutely have. Measles, what else? You get mumps, uh, chicken pox or smallpox or whatever. I don't fucking know. Like, you know, the ones you get. But these geniuses have decided that no, they're not going to do this. They're not going to they're not going to give their child the medicine that effectively eradicated these diseases from the earth and keeps them at bay because of these vaccinations. Millions of people, children don't die. Don't get ill, don't live terrible lives that are short-lived because they didn't get a needle in the arm. Some of these geniuses think that that's a terrible idea, that they're not going to do that for their children. In some cases, we've seen children take their, their parents to court because of it, because the kids know better than the parents do. But as fads and trends happen to do, they attract people who don't know any better or can't really think for themselves. Now, is it possible and probably true that vaccines have caused some terrible reactions in children that have had them administered? 100%. If you're vaccinating that many people, you're going to have some reactions. But this is absolutely a case of the greater good. If we still had polio, if we still had smallpox, like, do you know the devastation that would be running through your city and through your town as we speak? But now, because these geniuses have decided not to vaccinate their kids, there's absolute outbreak happening in parts of America. So bad that, I think it's measles, um, so bad that kids are now being excluded from school, from public places, transportation. They're being told to stay home. They cannot partake because they weren't vaccinated by their stupid parents not taking into account science and evidence and decades of results. Because Jenny McCarthy came out a few years ago and said vaccines gave my son autism. 
if they did, I am terribly, terribly sorry for her that she's had to endure that. But the hundreds of millions of people that have been saved because of them, unfortunately, as harsh as it's to say, outweighs that. It just does. It's a case of the greater good. And the CDC or whoever it is that's issued this kind of, uh, you know, prohibiting kids to partake in life until these things are sorted out is absolutely the right move because they spread like wildfire. That's why vaccines are such a credit to human history and to our progress with science and technology and medicine. You want to live in the fucking stone age where we don't have these things and people are getting infections in their teeth and dying at 30? Get out of here. Fucking beat it, nerd. What are you talking about? But as I said, I'm under no illusions that vaccines might cause some health irregularities, retardations, and different handicaps and disabilities in children. I, I completely understand that that could probably happen and possibly does. I don't personally have evidence in front of me, so I can't say yes, it absolutely is attributed to this amount of cases. But what I do have evidence of is how many people it's saved. And that can't be ignored. So I think it's the right call to have these kids excluded. Parents need to get their shit together. Pull their head out of their ass. Or whatever fucking book they're reading or magazine they're reading. And go and give their kid the jab. It's okay to ask questions about what the vaccines are, what they're for, and why they're needed. If the dosage is right, do some research on the drugs. But to not protect them against things we've effectively dealt with is irresponsible, it's immoral, and it's negligent. And they should be ashamed of themselves for being such idiots. Of course you don't want to be that parent that ends up, you know, with a child that has health difficulties because of something that was supposed to make them better. I get it. And the risk is always there, of course. But it kind of goes with having a kid. You can't have them running around, interacting. I mean, do you remember how fast flu would spread? Playing in the playground, jumping on the ropes, interacting in school, textbooks, pens, fucking whatever. These places are hotbeds, man. Incubators, little fucking Petri dishes of bacteria. That kid's got head lice, get him out of here. Get him the fuck home. Wash his hair, run that steel comb through his head, and get rid of those little bugs before he comes back. That's head lice, dude. Talking about fucking measles? Get out of here. Fucking these parents, man. Beat it. Get out of here. You should be having kids if you think like that. Get out of here. You know who else can beat it? Anybody that fucking loves Game of Thrones. I'm kidding. Kinda. I'm only kinda kidding because maybe a lot of people who listen to this show are fans of Game of Thrones. And I'm sure it's a great show. 
I'm sure it's a great show. I gave it three seasons. And then I got fucking bored and I turned it off and moved on with life. Ah, it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of escapism. I know. I get it. And if it's you, if that's your vibe, crack on. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. It's just not for me. But the hype around this fucking relaunch of the final season, oh my god, it's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. But to each their own, because I'm a Sopranos fan, as anybody that spends any time with me would know. And any chance I get, I compare any show to it, and no show will ever stand up to it. So I'm a bit biased, but also I'm right. <laughs> um, I'm sure Game of Thrones, you know, it's an epic, right? It'll go down in TV history as an epic. Biggest show ever made, breaks all the viewership records, breaks all the download records, breaks all the leaked uh episode you know files and all that breaks all those records i get it i get it but it's just not for me like lord of the rings isn't for me like like harry potter wasn't for me uh like the oa is not really for me i don't think i'm, I'm kind of watching the second season now but I, I just don't know if i can i just don't know if, like i see it when i when i turn on netflix and i'm just like nah I'd rather watch Line of Duty. Now that is a show. If you guys haven't seen Line of Duty, check that out. It's on Netflix. It's also on BBC iPlayer. But I just found out about it because a guy at work told me about it. And now the fifth season's on. And I'm like, all right, let me check this out. And the first episode of the first series is literally up there with any other show I've ever seen. I think it's fantastic. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass and giving it too much love. I don't know. But I was just like, I was like, this is right up there in terms of what it, like, just what it's about, the actors, the writing, uh, the way the plot develops and the, and the elements of the plot that are outlined straight away. Amazing. I'm like, <clears throat> I said to my wife, I'm like, how the fuck is this going to be however many episodes it is? Six episodes or something, seven episodes, I think it is. I'm like, this could be over in three, but they make it six. I think it is six or seven, something like that. Anyways, but it's perfect. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And the first season, oh my God, the first season is just like, oh, welcome to the party. Spoiler alert, chick gets her throat slit in her like front hallway after her boyfriend's been clubbed over the head with a bat. <laughs> in the second season, one of the scenes, some chick gets thrown out a window of a hospital. It's insane. It's insane. I just finished season two. I'm moving swiftly on to season three. Um, what a show. What a show. And I'm not a hater, okay? I'm not a hater. If I was into Game of Thrones, I'd be like, yep, this is why I love it. This is who I love in it. This is what I love about it. Blah, 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 blah. I gave it three seasons. I gave it three seasons. I gave The Walking Dead three seasons. The Walking Dead for me is a zombie show that's not about zombies, but is about zombies that started out being about zombies, but then, quote unquote, the characters moved on uh, to other things. I just switched off. I just think it's a boring show. 
Apparently some guy got a pet tiger in it. I don't fucking know. Um, but I'm not hating on Game of Thrones in terms of its magnitude, in terms of its caliber, in terms of, you know, what they're doing with the budget. It's a movie budget times whatever. You know, some of the scenes in these shows are like almost 10 million quid. <clears throat> it's an epic, no doubt. It's just not for me. But for all you Game of Thrones fans out there, it's coming. And I'd love to, like, <laughs> I'd love to give you some banter on it, but I really don't have any. I just think it's funny. I'm not, like, like, The Sopranos is 20 years old, right? And anybody that's listening to this that's, that's uh, in contact with me on a regular basis will be like, oh, for fuck's sakes, Daryl. But The Soprano was made 20 years ago and people still hold it up there. And I just don't think with the way media is now distributed and the amount of media that's, <clears throat> that's currently made that once Game of Thrones is over, I don't think anybody's going to talk about it again. Like, The Sopranos is quotable. The characters are, like... Like, you can imitate them. Right? Their catchphrases, their mannerisms. The Game of, Game of Thrones is a different thing, obviously. But I just don't know if we consume media like we did 20 years ago. Where it actually stuck with us. Maybe that's the audience. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. <clears throat> but The Sopranos is always, like, the gold standard because it changed how TV was made. It changed how TV was made. It's also changed sort of how mob movies are made. Like, you can't make a bad mob film. Like, you can't really... You can't just dip your toe in it. Like, there's been no real good mob films in the last, what, 10 years? Maybe I'm missing something, but I, I don't think so. Um, so The Sopranos is like a gold standard for me. But it's completely different in terms of what Games of Thrones is, the budget behind it. But The Sopranos has to be maintained in its position, for me anyways, because all around it's a better show. But also it's, it's originality. That stuff had not been done before Sopranos. It's been done numerous times now. So there's a lot of learnings to be you know, garnered from history. But I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the sci-fi element. I don't know. I don't know. But I recognize Game of Thrones for what it is. It's just not it's just not my bag. But you could probably tell because I I then reference like Line of Duty, which is totally totally my bag. Sopranos, totally my bag. Stranger Things, like like the first season, I guess. Second season, no. Probably won't even watch the third season. Like I said, the AO or OA, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> AO, no, it's definitely OA. AO. Um, I don't know if I'll finish the second season. So, anyways, Game of Thrones, Game of Thronites, Game of Thronies. Um, enjoy your last season. I just think it'll disappear after this because 
yeah, we don't consume media that way anymore. It'll always be held up for the records that it achieves, but I don't think in 20 years you'll still talk about Game of Thrones, like the White Walkers or Jon Snow or whatever, the mountain. Like, I don't think these things are going to be talked about in two decades. But I do think Tony Soprano will be. And that's my main kind of, you know, because it always gets like Game of Thrones is the best show ever. Best show ever. Okay, maybe. Subjective, right? But also not. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Moving on. Um, so we're waiting on the Mueller report. To be fully released, uh, Bill Barr, I think his name's Bill Barr, yeah, Bill Barr uh, said he'll be looking to release the Mueller report. I don't know how redacted that will be um, in like the next week because the Mueller's team have come out and they've been like, listen, we didn't spend two years of our lives to have a 400-page document reduced to a four-page summary that doesn't even represent truly what our findings were, which is quite curious that they're actually coming out and being vocal about this, right? And I don't know if it's a fact of, <clears throat> if it's a matter of that, they're like, well, listen, we want our work published. We want people to see what the hell we've been doing. Or if they're truly like, no, this isn't being represented accurately. And we feel we need to speak up because it, there are things in there that people need to know about. I don't know. Apparently, the, uh, is it the Ninth District's Court uh, of New York? The Southern District of New York? Southern District, I think. <coughs> Apparently, they've named Trump as a co-conspirator in one of their investigations. But I haven't seen anything. I've just, um, I've been watching the news. Um, I've been watching the news all day um, and this evening, but I'm not seeing anything about it. Uh, but it came up on my wife's Facebook uh, for some reason, but I didn't click the link, and that was yesterday. <coughs> um, so I'm waiting to find out some more on that as well, uh, because, you know, this thing could all get very sticky very quickly. Uh, you know, his uh, head of Homeland, is it Department of Homeland Security, that Kirsten Nielsen woman, just, and I'm throwing up the massive quotation signs here, resigned, um, but she didn't resign. She was fired. People found out about this because Donald Trump said she would be leaving um, and thanked her for her service. They clearly had a meeting that didn't go well, and he fired her. They've The relationship between those two, between Trump and Nielsen, has been one of back and forth push and pull for sure. You know, she, um, I don't think she's as conservative as conservative as she, as her actions have dictated. I think a lot of those things have been forced on her by Trump. I think she's leaving under more of a duress 
type relationship with him than a cooperative one. Uh, I don't think he, I think his point of view was that she's not conservative enough because the amount of people still coming over the border is enormous. The you know each stage of his immigration policy, let's call it if you can even call it that, um, has been met with some sort of resistance from her basically on the legalities uh, surrounding these policies that Trump wants to enact. Push, push, push. Trump pushes back. Things go forward. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and I think looking at the, you know, the reports out there on what's happened, I think this was something that was inevitable. The person who is being replaced uh, or the person replacing Kirsten is a guy called Castlemere or something like that and if you look at him on the surface he looks quite a fair individual now this is the guy that's running the day-to-day -day operations of things like ICE um, and the Customs and Protection uh Police, I think they're. I think that's one of the departments. I think the CPP or something like that. Um, not sure if I if I got the acronym right, but he's the guy who runs the stuff on the ground. So basically, Trump wants a policy enacted. He gets Kirsten uh, Nielsen to formulate it, act on it, build it, deploy it. And then this Castlemere guy, or whatever his name is, I don't have it to hand, sorry. Um, he's the one that gets the guys on the ground to do it. So effectively, the kids being separated from their families and put into cages, that's this guy doing that. He's the one that sets up the stuff on the ground. He is set to replace Kirsten Nielsen and the thinking of it is when you scratch the surface, look a little bit deeper into this Castlemere guy, and I wish I had his name to hand. Um, what you find is that he may actually do more of Trump's bidding because it's how he feels than a Nielsen would. Uh, let me just see if I can find it. Uh, let me just see if I got it. Okay, so she was the acting deputy? No. Oh, another one has. Another one has resigned. So, Kirsten Nielsen announced on Sunday she was leaving. And Claire Grady, who is the acting deputy secretary at the Department of Homeland Security, also offered her resignation on Tuesday. So yesterday, now there's been a number of departments. So let me see if I can find this guy's name. Uh, right. So the guy's name is Kevin McAllean. Alienen? Alienen? McAllean? McAllean, I guess. Kevin McAllean, who was 
the head of Customs and Border Protection, CBP. Sorry. So he's going to come in as the new acting secretary. Now, there's not a chance in hell that Trump is going to put somebody in that position who is less likely to do his bidding on immigration. Because immigration is one of the things that he has to get done in order to stay true to the promises he made to his base. When he so famously stood on stage saying about the rapists and the, you know, the drug dealers and the MK13, MS13 and different shit like this. His base bought it. They want them gone. They want them stopped coming across the border. You know, all of that. He has to get this done. Is there an immigration issue in America? Of course there is. Does there need to be more protection for illegal immigrants crossing the border um, willy-nilly? Of course there does. But this isn't the way to do it. Because illegal immigration is going up. So there's a different way of tackling this problem rather than what he's currently proposing, which is effectively closing the entire border down. Everything is a catastrophe. Everything is fear-mongering with this guy. So have fun, because there's a lot more to come with this. There's a lot more with the with the co-conspirator uh, allegations that are being put forth to the current situation that is effectively clearing the way for a guy like Stephen Miller, who is in the background of all of these terrible policies that Trump puts in, in place, to take some more public-facing reins like the DHS, Department of Homeland Security. And if you don't know who Stephen Miller is, take a few minutes of your day and educate yourself about what a fucking weasel is in human form. This guy is the stuff that if you step accidentally in the biggest pile of horse shit that you can find or imagine and you kick your shoe, kick your shoe, scrape it on the pavement, pick it, whatever, the little remnants that are left over, that's Stephen Miller. He's a piece of shit left over when the good pieces of shit were good enough to leave the room. He's the one that hangs around to piss you off just a little bit more. This guy is a complete scumbag. And you want to talk about white nationalists? You want to talk about people who put, you know, white supremacy front and center in all of their political thinking? Have a look at Stephen Miller. This guy is absolute dog shit. And <clears throat> you've got people with the nerve to come out and criticize someone like Omar, Omar Elan, who comes out and says effectively what I just said about Stephen Miller, which is true. You've got some people coming out on national television saying she should be kicked out of Congress because she's being racist by calling a Jewish person a white supremacist. White supremacist. White supremacist. How do you say it? What's the right? You know. Jewish people can be racist. 
Jewish people can be anti-Semitic. Jewish people can hate white people, black people, any kind of people. Just because you're Jewish does not make you immune to being a racist or a zealot or an extreme thinker, an extremist. That's what Stephen Miller is. Anybody that criticizes the calling out of that can go fuck themselves because truth is truth. And all you have to do is look at his behavior over the course of his career to understand the magnitude of this person's character. Sorry, I had to take a sip of water. Stephen Miller is the one that's calling a lot of the shots that are taking the immigration policy the way it's going. And I think all this is doing, this clear out, is because he's actually conducting what's going on. Trump is listening to him and not the people he's putting in place to actually do the job. But these people are still towing the line. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Because it's clearly not a good functional relationship. How come? How come? His base are all in favor of the people he employs. So why not come out and say something to them? Listen, guys, you got this guy all wrong. You should hear what this guy says in the back. You should hear what this guy says about you in the back. In fact, let me play you this YouTube video of what he thinks about you guys. He thinks he could shoot somebody in Times Square and you'd still vote for him because you're fucking idiots. His words. His words. And they still love it. They still love it, right? The people who need the American dream to manifest the most are the people that are most uh, least likely to achieve it and least and most likely to buy in to the mechanisms put in front of them that give the appearance of being able to achieve it. Point in case, lottery tickets. Another great point made by Ben Shapiro. The average household making $16,000 a year or less spends $400 a year on lottery tickets. Disposable income is more likely to be spent on alcohol and tobacco than it is on anything positive. They love him. They love him some Donald Trump. And he's doing nothing for them. Absolutely nothing for them. And I hope they wake up and see it. So it's some interesting times over there. And I haven't really been talking about it, I don't think, as much as perhaps I used to. Um, But I think that's, uh, I think that's a good thing. I don't, you know, I don't want this to be a Donald Trump show. I don't want this to be the Donald Trump podcast. You know, Um, it just so happens he controls the news cycle. But, you know, we'll, we'll dip in and out as we need to. Um, Because now with this co-conspirator sort of charge or indictment or whatever it is, um, I have to look more into it. It's going to be quite interesting if this is something that's actual. um, And that the Southern District of New York have actually done this. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, So the last thing I want to talk about on this show today is Brexit. 
<clears throat> and and what's been going on uh, because you know since we were last on Theresa May has done her fireside chat to the public on BBC which some people actually you know that I know uh, thought good honor good honor way to explain it way to explain it to the people I didn't really get that vibe from what I saw um, what I saw was somebody who was uh, over uh, oversimplifying a very complex issue that we're not in a position to fully deal with because we don't have the right people in place to deal with it because we don't have the right economy to transition away from it and because the results were manifested off of misinformation lies uh broken promises not well not even broken prom i guess broken promises if you can count like the day after being a broken promise but you know the people that voted for Brexit voted for it thinking this isn't going to cost me any money. This is going to be the easiest thing for us to do. And we're going to be so much better off immediately when we do it. Since then, we've gone through two years of chaos, of no deal, of no signs of a deal without giving up substantial uh substantial things away that we don't want to um remaining effectively in parts of the union while still having a sort of a brexit you know remaining in the customs union for instance whilst still doing a brexit so we don't have to do the hard border with northern ireland which would disrupt a peace accord that took 40 years to get in place Ministers are coming to the table saying we're going to vote for something that we previously said no to twice. But now we just got to get it done. So let's get it done. And I think I mentioned this on the previous show. Anybody that is represented by one of these maggots should stand up and call them out on it. Because it's disgraceful that they won't stick to their guns and have the courage of their conviction. We're in a point in time right now where public opinion polls are showing that over 50, I think 54% of the polled British public would vote yes to have a second referendum, would be in favor of holding that people's vote, which we've been saying on this program for months is the only course of action based on what got us to the position that we're currently in. An incompetent government, terrible negotiations, lies that manifested a result that was not true. And the fact that our government officials cannot come to some sort of an agreement one way or another. And that the prime minister is still going to Brussels saying, can we have an extension to the 30th of June to figure this out? And Donald Tusk is like, you know what? I think you guys should have a year. Let's just be flexible with it. Have a year. If you come up with something, let us know. Have a year. And let's see where we can get to. In the meantime, he's come out and said, all UK citizens still can come over to Europe after Brexit. No visas. Freedom of movement. No problem. But we're still, we're still pushing away from a thing that both parties need. Right? It's like Baroness Boothrode or Boothrod, Boothride, Roid, Boothroyd. 
um, she was the ex-speaker. She said, we need both, you know? The EU needs us and we need the EU. And, and she's right, she's right. In today's economy, in today's world, it makes sense. Everybody's got this doom and gloom outlook on the, on the EU. But I think a little bit of, you know, a little bit of just staying the course would be would be better than what's currently going on and the fragmentation and the, you know, the kind of shattering of confidence around the institution itself. Is it a great place? No. No. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Do we have the amount of representation that we should have? No. Can we change that? Absolutely. But not from the outside. Not from the outside. So Baroness Boothroyd is absolutely right that we both need each other. She's also right in saying that she blames the charlatans that said this wouldn't cost us anything. That says that this would be easy and we'd all be, you know, dancing hand in hand through rainbow fields, you know? So far... Brexit's cost 66 billion pounds. 66 billion pounds. To get us to where we currently sit right now, which is absolutely nowhere. Now, if you can't say that you don't have confidence in the person that is directing the government through this process... I don't know how you can reasonably be taken serious at your job. You're quick to criticize her. You're quick to shoot down her plans. You will not take the reins because you always vote that she should still be the one that deals with the problem. If you're such a mighty leader, if you're such a critical thinker, if you've got the balls to speak out against somebody, have the balls to try to do something about it rather than just bitching and moaning. But she's also right, Baroness Boothroyd, when she says, you can't trust this government. You can't trust them to run your bath, let alone run the government and run the country. And the sad thing about the current state of our politics is the people that sold us the bullshit that we're currently having to swallow are the exact same people who are in the strongest position to lead the country going forward. Now, if you don't think that that is a broken system, I don't know what to tell you. The fact that Boris Johnson was ready to back her deal after voting against it twice, who has now come out just to be even more of an obstructionist and a flip-flopper, has come out and said, not supporting any deal with the customs union in it. He wants a clear break. Doesn't want to entertain a second vote. Doesn't want to entertain a negotiation where the custom union remains in place. Wants a hard leave. Wants a hard leave with everything intact and no borders. No, nor, nor, no backstop. Out of his mind. And he's in a position to potentially be elected are you kidding me? Jeremy Corbyn on the other side. 
steps in at the last minute. I'll help. Let me see if I can negotiate something here. Help just guide the ship into the harbor. Nope. Because he backs leaving too. You're not dealing with a representative democracy. You're not dealing with a representative government. You're dealing with people who have their own political future in mind because it's dealt with by the people inside the chambers. That's the most important thing to these people. They get elected in their little, in their, in their hometown, right? In their area. And then things just move on. It's so asinine to me. The whole thing needs to be flipped on his head. Where are all the public faces of youth in politics? That's what I want to know. Where's the next generation of politicians coming from? Because we see it in America. We see what the future of politics is potentially going to look like in America. All these old white dudes are going to die and retire and fucking get out of there. And it's going to be taken over by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Omar Ilhan. It's going to be taken over by increasingly by women, people of color, people of different sexual orientations and different backgrounds and ethnicities. Because this is the world we live in. We don't live in a old white man's world. Of course, they still run a lot of legacy businesses. And yes, there's an argument for it, of course. But you know what I'm talking about. The winds of change have already started to blow. But I'm not seeing them as visibly as I am in America, in the UK. And it concerns me a little bit. Because if we don't do something at the foundational level, the problem that we currently face of incompetency, indecision, and divisiveness will not change. I don't know where these kids are. I don't know where the young people are, the young adults. Maybe I'm just not looking in the right places. And if anybody knows, point them out to me. Because I'm interested in getting their thoughts on the state of the current political system, the future of this country, and what they would like to do from a policy level, if they have any ideas. What's their vision for the UK over, over the coming decades? What's their vision of the UK that they will ultimately inherit and their kids will inherit? What does that look like? Because the people that are in power right now don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. If they did, there would be a better plan in place. To me, it's as simple as that. But the underlying, the underlying point here is that this is all before Brexit. All of this stuff is before the exit. This is now. This is the shit that we have to weed through in order to get to that decision. It'd be one thing if we were sitting on the other side of Brexit and say, fuck, man, we screwed up. This recession, fuck. Didn't see this coming. I thought the 350, 350 million that was coming back every week from the, uh, from the EU was gonna pay for the NHS. 
or other social services. I didn't think we we're going to be in this problem. I didn't think we we're going to have this kind of hassle. If we were on the other side of Brexit and we fucked up, at least we got there. At least they managed to be competent enough to get us through the negotiations. They're not even good enough to do that. They can't even negotiate amongst themselves. Do you understand the dysfunction that is going on in our government right now? Theresa May wanted an April deadline, two weeks. Now she's like, give us to the end of June. Donald Tusk's like, do you want a year? And now you got Corbin on TV, who's going to just do nothing but bitch and moan about how nothing's going on with Brexit. But he doesn't want to help. He doesn't want to change the true course of, of, of the way this thing is going. He wants us out of the EU. But you can't get a good deal through that way. And that doesn't negate anything <clears throat> to do with the European elections that are going to be coming up, which we're going to take part in. So the extension to the June 30 to June 30th, or the even more flexible annual one-year extension that Donald Tusk is suggesting, puts us basically still in the EU. So does my wife, who was born in Portugal, who's lived in the UK for 20 years, still have to do her settlement plan? Her application. <clears throat> Does she still have to do that? Or in a year, are we just going to be in the EU? In which case, none of this was necessary. And all the stress off the back of this process was not necessary. And all the money spent on this process wasn't necessary. 66 billion fucking quid spent on this goddamn useless, no result based, incompetent process. 66 billion. You think Theresa May's got that kind of money? We paid for this. Austerity. Austerity is what they pushed to us in their budget, in getting things back on track. Austerity is the way forward, they said. Not a blink of consideration before entering in a process that they told us wasn't going to cost a dime has already cost us 66 billion pounds. And that doesn't include the recession that the economists are predicting will follow a Brexit of some sort. Yet we've got problems in London of increased knife crime. Unsafe levels, people being attacked on the street, under shortage of police officers, resources and equipment, cutbacks, on fundamental services that are required in a city like London to keep citizens safe, feeling comfortable, walking home after work. Where the fuck would we ever find the money to deal with something like that? How could we ever budget additional police officers, additional resources, upgrades of equipment, how could we ever find the money to do that? How could we ever find the money to battle t knife crime? How could we ever find the time to deal with the housing crisis or the homelessness 
the NHS. God, I wish we could give a couple more billion to the NHS. Where would we ever find the money? 66 billion on Brexit? How long has it been? It's been three years? Three years? 22 million quid a year? And some of these MPs still have confidence in Theresa May to take us over the finish line. Beat it. With your half-baked opinions and your pretend policies, beat it. Get the fuck out of here. You care about us. You're doing what's in our interest. Any one of you that says that is a filthy liar. Theresa May staring straight into the camera saying she cares about people. She doesn't give a fuck about what happens to you. None of them do. So let's see where this leaves us over the next couple of months. She's answering questions now. I've got it on in the background, but it's on mute. I'm going to tune into that. Um, I didn't get to listen to it when it was on. So uh, let me catch up on a replay. Um, but what a fucking mess, guys. What a mess. And Baroness Boothroyd was correct. There is a solution that needs to be implemented. It needs to be implemented despite how loud Brexiteers and people who voted to leave may get. Because of the malpractice, because of the incompetence in the process, because of where we currently reside, it must be a solution that is another vote. Put it back to us. We'll tell you whether we want you to keep going on Brexit or not. And if we do, then God help us in whatever direction you drag us down. God help us. We'll see. But I have a sneaky suspicion that most people would just say, what are you talking about? Stop. Leave things alone. You clearly don't have the skill set to deal with this. So leave it alone. And with that, I will too. We'll be back. I'm either going to press stop and press record again and go straight into the UFC. Or I'm going to take a break and come back and do it on uh, Friday. Um, I'll be able to do it Friday afternoon evening i believe so um this is episode 80 i'm not sure what we're going to call it yet but we'll uh we'll have a think and uh and we'll let you know but it'll be up either late tonight or first thing tomorrow so keep an eye out for that but if you're listening to this you've already got it so it doesn't really matter um yeah episode 80 in the books Subscribe on Spotify, download on Spotify, rate on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, same thing. Uh, you can get us on all those platforms and others, um, but those are the three main ones. So check us out. Uh, let us know what you think. Hit us up with the feedback. We love it. Um, and keep on listening, guys. Keep pressing play. So um, I hope you enjoyed the show. That's a wrap for episode 80, and we'll be back as soon as we can with a UFC preview. Um, so have a great evening day whenever you're listening to this and uh, until next time all the best